for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. About 10 minutes ago, I was listening to today's guest on the radio tell me that Seattle, Washington is the number one city in the country for people leaving dog poop on the sidewalk and he learned how to be a professional broadcaster at JPZ learning how to relate to the audience because I could relate because we went outside our house the other day there's a fire hydrant in front of our house and there was dog poop on top of the fire hydrant I don't know if it was a horse a Great Dane <laughs> what it was but I immediately related to the last break I heard from today's guest Ryan Sampson from Sirius Hicks One welcome to the podcast I wish I knew where Detroit landed on the list I should have paid greater attention yeah exactly <laughs> so welcome to the show there are so many of us that have been on the air we go back to Syracuse we talk about what markets we've been in but you're the guy that you come back to Syracuse and the students know you because they still listen to you on the morning mashup on hits one so you're kind of a big deal <laughs> it's it's fun thank you I don't you know it's still just three of us in a tiny little room it feels about the same but I appreciate that thank you what year were you Ryan I was the the year of Donovan McNabb you were 99. Okay, so yeah. your senior year would have been my freshman year. Got it. Yes. Okay. So let's go back to the time of uh, Syracuse having a football team. <laughs> Tell me how you found uh, Syracuse and how you found the radio station. You're from where originally? I grew up in Titusville, Pennsylvania. Okay. It's about an hour south of Erie and two hours north of Pittsburgh, and it's 40 minutes to get to the nearest road with four lanes. Got it. I didn't hear a top 40 station like, really, I'd probably gone through other towns and like heard one, but I didn't have a top 40 station to listen to in my daily life until I moved to Syracuse and it was 93Q. Wow. So I found Syracuse. I guess I had always wanted to be in broadcasting. Mm -hmm. I used to sneak a headphone that I, I had a big, you know, old stereo it was probably my grandparents or something, but I had a set of headphones that I would plug in and sneak the wire underneath my pillow so I yep. could listen to pirate games. <laughs> and I always wanted to do the news or be in broadcasting. And I guess I sort of always knew about the reputation of Syracuse and, you know, was really interested in getting there. All right. So you mentioned 93Q and many of our listeners cringed when you said 93Q before you said Z89. How did you find out about JPZ when you got there? It was it was everywhere. I originally wanted to do news. Mm hmm. JPZ was the second organization I joined. I joined AER and then, you know, I really thought that I was going to be a, a serious newscaster. I wanted Scott McFarland's job. Yeah. And, you know, a friend of mine convinced me that I should just go everywhere and do everything that I could. And I went to the fall recruit or sorry, the spring recruiting meeting in Watson Theater and started from there. I did an overnight shift and just started as a DJ and doing news updates at the top of the hour. So did you eventually have to decide between AER or JPZ or did you walk away from one or did you keep doing both or? I walked away from AER. <laughs> me too, yeah. Yeah, I walked away from AER. I remember, I think the thing that did it to me is that I got sent out two years in a row to cover the zoning board meeting for Balloon <laughs> Fest. <laughs> and that's not a joke. Like, I, you no, know, I'm I know, being yeah. serious. And, and I'm like, yeah, this just, um, this may not be what I want to do. And there was a couple other things going on in my life too that started pushing me towards being in music radio. 
had it flipped back to Z89 when you were there or was it the Pulse when you got there? I'm trying to do the math on that. I was with, you know, Harry and Dina working on the flip back to Z89. Okay. Dina lived across the hall from me. We both lived in Sky Hall. Oh, wow. Okay. Or Sky Hall 2, I think it was. And <laughs> South, yeah. And uh, Dina and I lived directly across the hall from one another. So, you know, we worked on a lot of different things for the, the transition. How long were you at JPZ? Because I feel like my knowledge of you in the beginning, you were already across town at Hot 107.9. Tell me how long you were at Z and how that transition went for you. So I started at Z my freshman year, the spring semester, second semester, freshman year. And then I was elected eventually when Scott McFarlane left and graduated. I followed him as news director. Okay. And after I was news director for that year, I believe, and then I had an internship. My freshman year after I was done, my parents lived in Baltimore by this time. And I called, I just opened up a phone book because they still existed and just cold called every radio station in Baltimore Wow! and said that I was a student at Syracuse and I wanted to be an intern. And WQSR, an oldie station, called me back and said, you know, hey, you really want to intern? Show up at, you know, this Chevy dealership. And she, uh, my interview was unloading the van and setting up the speakers. (laughs) And she's like, you'll be great for this. (laughs) And so I started driving back and forth from, I would do shifts on Z89 during the week in both news and jock shifts. I did the morning show with Jamie Scavato. Okay. And then I would drive back to Baltimore on the weekends and I was a promotions assistant for WQSR. It was an oldie station. Rouse and Company was the morning show when I'm sure Marty D can tell you lots of stories because uh, we worked there together. Okay. And I did that for my sophomore and junior years after my freshman year during that summer. And I kept bringing Z89 air checks. Mm -hmm. And before I went back my senior year, my program director at the time was a guy named Bill Pasha. And I would just, you know, I bombarded him (laughs) with my college radio air checks and he listened to one. He's like, all right, I'll give you, this was like August, right before my senior year. He's like, I'll give you weekends on Mix 106.5, but I need you here, you know, in case someone calls out during the week, you can't be in Syracuse. Oh, geez. (laughs) And I'm like, weekends? I'm like, what do you make doing weekends? And it was, you know, it was a very low part-time wage. I'm like, I can't. Not enough to drop out of school for. Not enough to drop out of school for. I'm like, I can't do that. And he's like, all right, but what I want you to do is I want you to put on your resume that you already work at Mix 106.5 and call stations up there and I'll back you up. Oh, wow. So I called, I made the one of the biggest, uh, and be, I, I mentioned the wrong station first, you're correct, because I wanted to remember the story because I just remembered it today before we did this. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest professional screw ups I ever had in my life okay. is that when I got back for that first week, my senior year, I started calling all the radio stations in Syracuse trying to do like, hey, I, I'm part time in Baltimore. I'm here. I'm a student like major market. Get me on the radio up here. Right. <laughs> I <laughs> I called Tom Mitchell, who is the program director at 93Q. Mm-hmm. But only I'm a dummy and I wasn't paying attention. And it taught me so much to just pay attention to what you're doing. I called him on the request line and I was so shocked when I called and it rang and someone answered 93Q. And I'm like, hi, can I please speak with Tom Mitchell? And they're like, this is him. And 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 I'm just starting. I'm like, well, that's weird that he picked up. And I just started going into it. I'm like, hey, well, I'm Ryan Sampson. And, you know, I'm a student at Syracuse. I want to get on weekends over there. And he's like, can you call me when I'm not in the air? I'm pretty much hung up on me. Oh, jeez. 
<laughs> that I called the request line and I'm like, oh my God, it was one of the most embarrassing things I think I'd ever done. But luckily, Jeremy Rice at Hot 107.9 called me back and offered me a weekend swing shift there. So that's how I ended up at Hot. Were you Hawaiian Ryan at that point still? No, I wasn't. How I got Hawaiian Ryan is that came later at Hot 107.9. Okay. I was working at Hot 107.9 and it was just a very weird thing that happened. I've never seen anything like this before, but we all got called into an emergency meeting and the CEO of Cox Media, who owned the station at the time, was there. And a representative from Clear Channel was there. And they're like, we swapped. You guys used to be Cox. Tomorrow you're going to be Clear Channel. Oh, wow. Nice to know you. And Cox kind of went door to door and took four or five people and placed them within that company. And our program director, our general manager, uh, I think our promotions director, you know, I think there were some other people in there the next day suddenly worked in different markets. Wow. And we had new owners. And so... There was nobody in charge. It was the weirdest time I'd ever done anything where I was at a professional station and I got hired at Hot 107.9 is the exact time as another Z89 person who's my best friend still to this day, uh, Chris Mann, Mm -hmm. who worked uh, in radio for a long time. He now owns a chain of spas in Ohio. That's what happened to him. That's what happened to him. He worked, uh, he used uh, Reno. He was in Nashville and Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. And we got hired at the exact same time. So we like it was we the DJs were in charge. What month and year is this, Ryan? Do you remember? I don't remember exactly, but let's say this would have been um, summer of 99. Okay, the swap happened with Cox. If I remember right, they plucked people. There was nobody to put them locally. So they ended up bringing other markets. And all of a sudden there's like nobody minding the shop. Yeah, the GM and the promotions director went to Tampa and the program director went to Long Island. Wow. You know, there were people in the cluster, but yeah, there was nobody minding the shop. It's suddenly, you know, the assistant promotions director became the promotions director, who was Jeff Miskinis, who was the music director at the time at z Wow. Okay. And so what happened is that we would just basically, you know, we'd all show up at lunchtime and we'd go out to lunch and figure out what we were going to do with the station (laughs) and go back and implement it. But part of the fun was, is that we would get, and I'm throwing it back to another WJPZ at 50 episode. You might get where this is going. We used to just basically sit around and people would send air checks to the station Mm -hmm. and we would plop them in and make fun of them because a lot of them were not good. And we would listen to all these air checks, but there was one that I remember that we all listened to and nobody made fun of the person. Nobody said anything really. So I put that in my pocket and three or four months later, we got a new program director. His name was Tommy Frank. And I handed him the tape and I said, you should hire this guy. He's a student at Syracuse. He was using Dickie V on the air at Z89. Yep. He soon came to be Rich the Bull. Um, <laughs> Rich the Bull Marino in a previous episode he mentioned. Rich the Bull Marino because this program director gave us all horrible names. He wanted us all to have silly names. So Chris Mann, Chris is the only one that really held on. He tried to convince him to be Bananas Foster. Oh, my God. Rich was Rich the Bull. And him and I got in a nice argument because I was going from Ryan Sampson to Flying Ryan. And there was like enough Flying Bryans. And I I just know. And I always wore a couple cheesy Hawaiian shirts. And that's how I ended up with Hawaiian Ryan. Ryan. And Rich Davis was quickly there to follow you over to hot. So there you go. Yes. Yeah. All right. So, look, I'm I'm going to I'm not sure where this is going to go. And if you don't want to go here, I'll cut this. But since you made a reference to it, you referenced, you know, Z89 kids sending over air checks and kind of laughing, making fun of them. You know, 
No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. And by the way, I was there was no Z89 people. The, the one Z89 person who sent an air check got hired. I don't want to. Oh, that was rich. I, OK. Yeah, it was rich. They were they were coming from all over the country. OK, fair enough. I, I stand corrected. Yeah, because, you know, in many episodes of the podcast, you know, people have talked about the real rivalry, but especially in the 90s between JPZ and 93Q. But when you were over there, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, things got pretty heated between JPZ and hot. And you guys did some pranks on us. You tormented us. You pulled some shit. Maybe on you personally, but you're the, the team over there. You were rough on us. Uh, I, I may have been gone to Baltimore for the worst of that. OK, um, I will say that, yeah, there was the 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 um, the program director, Tommy, totally believed in that. And he had a total screw with other station mentality. I remember that his I can't remember exactly how it went down, but Balloon Fest, which I made the joke about the zoning. Yeah, was a big 93Q event. And he convinced Elliot from Blessed Union of Souls, who was headlining the concert, our program director did to wear a Hot 107.9 T-shirt. Uh, on stage. On the 93Q show. At the 93Q show. That's impressive. We would do things like that. And at that same one, like, you know, we were handing out T-shirts to everybody driving into the event before they got there. You know, he blew out the promotion budget to do that. I I don't know. Listen, you'll have to tell me some of the things. Um, I wouldn't have. I would like to think if I did, I'm I'm pissed at myself. But I'd like to think I don't think. Everything I that I may have ever been involved with, you know, was sort of more at 93Q. I know it got nastier later. Yeah, I'll be fair here. I don't remember your name ever coming up in these stories, but you're probably the, clo- the closest person to it that I'm going to interview, which is why I'm asking <laughs> you. So I'm not putting the blame on you here, Ryan. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but there was a story where somebody from Hot called the person doing overnights at JPZ, probably some poor freshman, said, hey, we're the engineer. We need I to- I know 100% about this story. You finish it for me then. No, well, no, I, I listen, I know 100% about this story. I worked in Baltimore at the time. Okay, your hands are clean. My ha- I, I was definitely gone to Baltimore in time. And, and we're not going to bring the person up. But yeah, they called and said they were the FCC and- they were to shut the transmitter off and then call the or reset the transmitter or whatever, and then started, uh, I think, giving them songs to play. They've had one song on repeat. Uh, Harvey Danger, Flagpole Sitta. That's the one. I'm not sick, but I'm not well. There were some real radio wars at the time. Well, I, I, you know, one thing that we did, and I'll take responsibility for this because I actually think it was my idea. Okay. One of the DJs on Hot 107.9 used the real name of one of the 93Q DJs. That was some of the little things that we did to mess, you know, with them and and get in their head is there was one DJ who used an on-air name and we hired a part-timer and just gave him that DJ's real name. Oh my God, I remember that. I do remember that now. Yeah, that came from above where you guys are like, yeah, I can understand you want to go after the top dog and really hammer 93Q, but JPZ was not immune from some stuff that went on as well. No, but you know, it was also, it was the mentality of the day. Yeah, it was. You know, I've almost, you know, if you've listened to the mashup, I like to think that what I've done or what we've done with that show is the total opposite of that back in the day. Yeah. I remember... Someone that I and we still I feel like pay for it today that someone I worked with a hot 1079 Java Joel. Yeah, I think notoriously once 
was left on the line during an NSYNC or a Justin Timberlake interview and just played fart noises over it, <laughs> you know, for, for the other station's interview. And the other station got blamed for it, I think, or, you know, or, or maybe it was something like that. But those sort of pranks and those sort of like that screwing with other people was considered good radio then. It was. And if you think about it now and to your point about what you guys do on the mashup, those old school morning show bits that really, you know, are sometimes mean spirited, but sometimes whether it's the second date update or the War of the Roses or all, all those old school bits, right. that they're played out. Like in listening to your show now on Sirius, you guys are always thanking listeners for checking in and positivity and telling good stories because I really that's where it is now. It's, it's a cycle and it's really changed from where it was 20 years ago. And even if it went back, I don't know that I'd want to go back to the, <laughs> to the mean stuff. <laughs> You know, like it's not it's always been laugh with people and not at them. Right. And I get that some of the things are, you know, like, oh, well, they're cheating, so it's OK. But it's still like, ah, I don't feel good doing that. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. All right, let's get back to you, Ryan, and your career. So you said you left from Hot 1079 to go to Baltimore. Take me through your career arc. I started, well, I, it was way before then. My first job was WTIV in Titusville. Okay. I was a senior in high school. And I would go in at six in the morning and introduce uh, live church remotes. Wow. And then I would get to read a newscast at noon. Okay. And that was, you know, pretty much the highlight of my <laughs> life is that I got All to right. do that. I got to write the news and then read it. So from there, I was accepted to three universities, the University of West Virginia, Slippery Rock University. And I didn't think I was getting into Syracuse. And I remember visiting West Virginia and being totally depressed coming home. Um, and <laughs> like, oh, God, I don't want to go there. And finding my acceptance letter from Syracuse. Oh, wow. Changed everything. So uh, Syracuse, it was, it was it all the way. Like I said, I eventually started doing overnights on Hot 107.9 my senior year. So I'd started as a part-timer and then was put in full-time overnights. That's another traumatic story that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> um, and I'll tell you the traumatic part about it. What was really pissed off. You're still mad. I'm still mad about it. Well, because I'd kind of forgotten about it. And I was a part timer and the program director said, hey, I want you in overnights. And I, I was just leveled with him. I'm like, dude, listen, I wasn't going to tell you this, but I'm talking to where I do promotions in Baltimore. And they're kind of like thinking about bringing me on at nights. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. I still want you there. Wow. And he moved the guy out to put me in there for a temporary period. And it felt really shitty at the time. Yeah. But I did get the job in Baltimore. I hadn't graduated. I left 13 credits short. I walked with my class, but still had some credits in summer, summer school. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I left those credits behind and to do nights in Baltimore. Two years at B102.7 in Baltimore. They flipped the format and moved me across the hall to Mix 1065, where I became the music director. Okay. And a quick little like footnote in that time there is about four months before that happened. I got a phone call. I was I had Monday nights off because I was the main weekend person. I had Monday nights off and I was sitting at my imaging director's house watching Raw 
Mm-hmm. And I got a call at like 930. I'm half in the bag. It's my night off. It's like, hi, Ryan, this is Tom Cuddy. I'm the vice president of programming at WPLJ in New York. Oh, hello. And a guy that I work with who used to work at PLJ sent Scott Shannon my tape who gave it to Tom Cuddy and who was, you know, the VP of programming. He's like, and they offered me to do weekends at PLJ. And I stupidly told my program director and he basically like, if you go for the interview, I'll fire you. But if you don't go for the interview, you'll be music director in three months. Oh, no. What he didn't tell me is it was going to be on a different radio station. (laughs) (laughs) So I like it was really like I had the choice. I think I was 25. Maybe I had the choice to go do weekends at PLJ or to stick around Baltimore for an MD gig. And I thought, you know, long term, even though New York would have been really great long term, I, you know, saw myself programming. So I went to Mix 106.5, was there for two years and then decided, oh, shit, I'm 25 and playing Phil Collins. Yeah, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I started looking for jobs and I was hitting a dead end. Uh, I wasn't getting much. You know, I, there was a few bites out there, but nothing spectacular, nothing serious. And I got all of a sudden a station in Lincoln, Nebraska started coming after me hard. Okay. Calling me like, and I had applied because I was sending everything to everywhere. And I was kind of ignoring them a little bit and blowing them off. And the same guy who had sent my tape to New York, he's like, listen, this is to be the program director. You've never been the program director. Yep. Why don't you just go interview? He's like, practice. Because when you do get the program director job, you're not going to want to go in there cold. Like, go practice interview with them. If they're going to fly you out there, go see a place you'll never see. Right. And so I flew out there and I couldn't believe it. But the general manager at this cluster and he didn't know I was the one they were interviewing. That's what was even great is when we sat down to the meeting was my old GM from Baltimore. Oh, wow. And he didn't even know that I was the one being interviewed. A consultant had brought me in because Arbitron or now Nielsen or whatever, their headquarters was in Columbia, Maryland, or probably still is. Yeah. I don't know anything about ratings anymore. (laughs) (laughs) so he when he would go in to work there and read diaries he would listen to me he knew who i was and when he figured out that i wanted to be the p you know a pd they came after me pretty hard and i flew out there i knew the gm and you know i saw a station it was a heritage station that just needed a nice little polish so i moved to lincoln nebraska to be the pd i was there for 18 months how was lincoln you know it was a really strange town for me i'm from a small town but this was you know, everything there revolved around college football in a way I didn't know existed. Oh, yeah. I knew it was big. I'd never seen people buy a brand new car and not like one person, but like many people buy a brand new car and then take it to the detail shop to have a giant red end painted on it. <laughs> the flag in the window, the bumper sticker wasn't enough. You needed the decal. Welcome to Big Ten. So it was a really fun town and I learned a lot. It was a small owner. There was one engineer for 35 stations in nine states. Oh, wow. That was tough to get used to. That's challenging. If something breaks, you got to probably figure out how to fix it yourself. Yeah. Or wait three days for Bob to come back from South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> so so you mentioned Rich Davis earlier. And yeah. in his episode of the podcast, he does credit you for bringing him into Hot 107.9, but says he more than repaid the favor because he got you out of Lincoln. True or false? Uh, that's, that's 100% true. Okay. 
I was up for two jobs at the time. I was trying to, you know, move up out of there. And I was talking about being uh, the program director at KISS 98.5 in Buffalo. Okay. Or being, you know, going as a program coordinator to Sirius XM. Rich was starting to go over and do Cavino and Rich full time. And he was leaving his coordinator position, which was a starting level position, basically. Mm -hmm. It was a weird thing where kid Kelly called me kind of out of the blue. I wasn't expecting it. And, you know, we started talking about it and things started getting serious. I was already talking to Buffalo and I'd flown to both places to do interviews. Buffalo is really close to home to where I grew up. It was a program director position. It's a heritage station. It's a great station. Sure. It was a really attractive job. And Sirius was less money than I was making in Nebraska and New York City. And the starting position, you know, like entry level position. But I just remember going there and I, I sat down in the lobby and, you know, like Mel Carmazin, Jim Brewer and like William Shatner or something like walked by in the course <laughs> of like five minutes. I'm like, I have to work here. What year is this? Uh, that was 2005. OK, so Sirius XM was starting to take off at this point, but it wasn't as big as it is now at that time, right? There was not yet a million subscribers. OK. Howard had announced he was moving, but had not yet moved. Okay. So you take the pay cut to go to the most expensive city in the country or one of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Take me through your journey at Sirius because gosh, now it's been what your tenure there was old enough to vote now. Yeah. I've been there in 19 years, <laughs> it's, which is crazy. I started, you know, as a coordinator and working right beside Kid Kelly and Mikey Piff, who's the format manager now, the PD now. I stayed in the same chair and did the same job, but on the corporate pay scale kept moving up. Okay. And about a year into it, Rich was doing the morning show already. The morning show on Hits 1 was voice track. Okay. It was Rich and Stanley T, who I still do the show with, Mm -hmm. and another guy named Jason. And Jason befriended Liza Minnelli. Okay. On one of her many trips into Sirius XM. And he went on tour with her. Wow. To Like, they became best friends. There's photos of them out there everywhere. They're still friends to this day, I believe. And he decided while he was on Liza Minnelli's European tour that he wanted to stay on tour longer and pretty much quit via email. And kid said, hey, Ryan, no one else to do it. It's you go. Wow. Plus, I want somebody in there, you know, programming wise to just watch everything. I'm like, all right. So I wasn't happy about it. But on the morning show, And at the exact same time that was happening, the female co-host of the morning show was offered like literally almost the same day. I think this happened was offered a position within the company and she moved in the company and sort of stopped on our show. So we went to uh, the receptionist and said, hey, how would you like to come in an hour and a half to work early and do a national radio show for free? And she's like, yeah, that sounds great. And uh, 18 years later, we do the show. That's how Nicole started on the show with you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nicole was on the reception desk for the first probably year and a half or two years of the show, not getting paid for it. And we would come in early in voice track. And it, I remember the struggle to finally convince the company that the three of us, you know, I was still programming mm-hmm. and that was my extra job. Right. But just to convince them that we were a real show. And that they should, you know, let Nicole actually do it. When did that start the three of you doing the show together? It was March of 2006. Oh, wow. Okay. So not, not too long into your tenure there. And geez, you're no. 17 years into the show, the three of you now. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. 
It's been a crazy ride. I mean, the first hurdle was getting Nicole to do it. And then it was a few more months. And then they finally let us go live. You know, we were voice tracked for so long. There was no live music programming with a few exceptions on Sirius XM. Okay. So when they finally let us go live, it was a really big deal. And I think there wasn't a lot of people that expected us to succeed. And that's sort of been our our thing is, is that we just keep slowly growing and we're always there. And, you know, we just take advantage of everything you put in front of us. That's wild to think about the journey and how you ended up there at this point. And now take me through your day, your work day, uh, as far as what your hours are like and what your day looks like typically. It's pretty focused on the morning show. I'm in my chair, mm-hmm. 630 at the latest. Um, we go live at seven. You know, the show's all planned out. We, throughout the course of the day, basically send things we want to talk about to our producer Mm -hmm. and he shows up in the morning uh, and he's coordinated everything we've sent throughout the previous day to him into a show into an outline for a show wow and so the show's live seven to ten and then we jump into to replays for the west coast it airs until noon but the 7 a.m hour on the east coast and west coast is the same okay got it okay you know we'll stick around and do interviews uh with whoever we have with whatever guests we have that day um, record videos for social or for the video team or whatever, uh, and things like that. And usually out of there, you know, late morning. Got it. Okay. It's been a strange culture around Sirius XM because, uh, everyone it's been, a, it's still a widely work from home company. Are the three of you working from home or you're in the studio together? We're in the studio. Okay, good. We've been together in the studio, uh, for about 15 months. Okay. Since COVID got it. Yeah. Ryan, let me ask you, because I ask anybody who's still working in radio this question, what is your perspective on the radio industry and where it is now from where you sit on Sirius doing a national morning show, whether it's local radio or radio, what thoughts you have in general and where the industry is now, what it needs to do to survive? I have no idea if I'm right. I love to shake the snow globe and see what happens. (laughs) I don't think that minor changes and course corrections are going to fix things. Okay. The real problem, and I don't know that I have a solution to it, But sort of the way that I view it is commercials are cigarettes and radio has cancer. Wow. You know, it's great. You can smoke as many cigarettes as you want when you're in your 20s. But when you're as old as you are, now everyone you play is hurting you. Wow. No one's figured that out yet. They've got to figure out a way to make money that's not eight minute stop sets. Because people are losing complete interest in the medium altogether. And particularly in PPM markets, when everybody takes their commercials at the same time, like why are you going to stick around when you can just flip over to Sirius or Spotify or Pandora or whatever you have in the car? And why would you ever go back if every time you go back, that's what you're going to sit through? Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to that. You know, it could be in more creative advertising, you know, sort of live spots and and things like that. I also, you know, wonder too, if we're not going to see a branch of new formats coming a whole slate of new formats. You know, the thing that I wonder is that radio went through a giant transformation in its infancy. Programming on radio was dominated by live bands and scripted dramas. Right. And then it switched to recorded music in the mid 50s. And I'm wondering if we're about to hit that kind of change again. Like a seismic change where the whole thing is a clean slate almost. Correct. Yeah. No, that's really interesting to hear you say that. Let me throw it back to JPZ before we start to wrap up here, Ryan. Tell me about what you learned at the radio station that has served you well in your two plus decade career at this point. Have fun. I always go back to uh, Dr. Wright because <laughs> he really got in me. It's all about attitude. When you're there, 
and it's related to one of my favorite lines from a movie ever is Fast Times at Ridgemont High mm-hmm. when the guy's given the dating advice and it's no matter where you are, that's the place to be. Hey, isn't this great? Yeah. And that attitude, like that mentality is sort of what I got out of, you know, listening to Rick. And I've taken that with me through my career that no matter what it is, no matter how bad it is, no matter what it looks like, the people on the other side of the speakers have no idea. Yeah. And you just have to give them that you're having fun. And, you know, that's the biggest lesson. And that's what I learned there. But I also learned how to make something out of nothing. Yeah. Because people will tell you, you probably, you know, I don't know when you stepped in in your freshman year, uh, what the studio situation was. Not good. Not good. So I learned, you know, how to take literally um, just a pile of dung and turn it into something (laughs) that, you know, was okay. It was really, you know, make something out of nothing. I learned how to work as a team. Mm -hmm. Being at JPZ where everybody was on the same page. Yeah. Really, I think was one of the most valuable things that I've ever experienced in my life is we all had the same goal. And it was to get good at this thing. Right. That was huge for me. That makes a lot of sense. Any uh, funny stories you remember from your time at the station that come back to you to this day? <laughs> there was two things. I just remember the poor clock. There was a clock in the studio <laughs> that um, just so many carts got thrown at that thing. <laughs> in frustration when a cart wasn't queued up or oh, th- if it wasn't queued up or if you messed up a break or if just for whatever reason you would take a cart out and just fling it at the thing. <laughs> And, and I feel bad for the four, for the, oh, you know what it was? I remember constantly getting yelled at for using the ladies room. Because at that time, the ladies room was next to the station and the men's room was all the way at the other end of Watson, right? All the way at the other end of Watson. And there was no automatic switches. The computer, like you had the length of a song or the length of a cart. So you had to pick the longest song on CD at like four and a half minutes. There was no other way to do it. And you would have to run and wash your hands and run back. Yep. And it just it was easier to just use the women's room if you didn't think anyone was there because it was right there. Well, you know, I'll give you credit for using the ladies room as opposed to using the men's room and not washing your hands. I'm glad you washed your hands before you came back. I don't want other people touching that board after that. Exactly. And also one of my favorite memories is just when our general manager once decided to paint all the doors overnight. We don't know why, but. All the doors were were a different color when we got there the next morning. At JPZ? Yes. <laughs> Ryan, I know that like many of our alumni, you have friends to this day that trace back to JPZ roots, right? A lot of friends. The person who trained me on my first overnight shift, Mark Vitelli, never really got into radio, but he's a guidance counselor in D.C. now. I, oh, wow. I still see him and still talk to him. Uh, my best friend, Chris Mann, came from Z89. You know, I worked with Rich Davis for 10 years really close. And we're, you know, he's one of my best friends. Um, Ralphie and I have become great friends. My other show, my podcast, This Is Happening, I host with Mark Zito, who's a Z89 alum. Um, I have a lot of my friend group is in some way from different generations over different time. Jeff Sumaji, if anyone remembers him, these are all people that I met at Z89 that I still have great friendships with today. What's the name of your podcast so we can link it in the show notes? This Is Happening with Mark Zito and Ryan Sampson. Love it. Last thing I want to ask you about, you've gotten a lot more involved with the Alumni Association in recent years. You interviewed our keynoter, uh, Noah Shear, at this year's banquet or last year's banquet by the time this airs, you know, and then you've gotten involved with the board too, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell me what that experience has been and, and why you wanted to do that. It's been great. I'll be completely honest that my departure 
to Hot 107.9 wasn't always, and I understand why, you know, when we talked about that animosity earlier, I guess I was playing for the other team. Yeah. And I don't want to say that I felt unwelcome, but maybe I was sort of like, okay, I should, you know, uh, I let the water cool down a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I always wanted to be part though. Listen, I'm a kid from a really small town where there was no media. And the fact that I have the job that I do is some sort of weird miracle. And it never would have happened without the time I spent at JPZ. And I want to continue to be involved as much as I can. So the fact that um, I've been given the opportunity to be part of the board is just really exciting to me. Well, I know I speak for all of us when I say we're happy to have you back in the family. No matter where you go, you're not the only person who left Z and I to go to a commercial station in Syracuse. Yes. So we are very happy to have you among our alumni, among our illustrious alumni, and part of the uh, Alumni Association. So thanks for being part of all that, and thanks for your time today. Oh, and can I say, too, I've just, I've really enjoyed these. You've done an amazing job with all these podcasts. Thank you. Keep going with them. I hope you do keep going, because they're they're a lot of fun to listen to and different perspectives on the station over different years and just how much of a group it is. I don't know of anything else like it in any other alumni group. So I think we should keep it going just like you're doing it. Appreciate you saying that. Thanks for your time today, Ryan. Thank you. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.